welcome to Trek in the Time of Corona. In his 1972 book, The World of Star Trek, David Gerald wrote that science fiction at its best was the postulation of an alternate reality with which to comment on this one. On this podcast, a fan of Trek and a fan of everything but Trek will come together to search for reflections of this pandemic life by watching and discussing contagious disease-themed stories from the Star Trek universe. My name is Brian Apple, and I am here with Caroline Harmondero. Today's episode, from TOS, Miri. Original air date, October 27th, 1966. The Starship Enterprise responds to a distress signal from a planet that appears identical to Earth, but is hundreds of light years away. They arrive in a dilapidated town and explore, picking up a rusted tricycle. They are attacked by a zombie-like man who wants his tricycle back, talks like a child, and then seizes and dies. They discover a teenage girl, Miri, who Kirk tries to befriend for information, and she develops a crush on him. Soon, an electric blue lesion appears on Kirk, signaling to Miri that he has the disease that's killed all the adults, or grups, in town, and made them yell at and hurt the children, who are called onlys. Each of the Starfleet members but Spock contract the disease. By moving into an abandoned doctor's office and lab, and studying old files and new samples, Bones and Mr. Spock determine that the children in town are not showing signs of the disease, but contracted at puberty which is why all the adults are dead. As a result of an experiment to prolong life using viruses, the children now live one month every 100 years and slowly approach the doom of puberty and adulthood. So Kirk has a 300-year-old preteen in love with him and seven days to live. When Mary gets jealous of Kirk's comforting of Yeoman Brand, she turns against the Starfleet members, and the children conspire to steal the communicators that the team uses to access the Starship Enterprise team and computing resources, and conspire to kill Kirk. Once Miri develops her own lesions, she convinces the children to stand down and to cooperate. Bones injects himself with a risky, quickly prepared, inadequately tested vaccine trial, and is in great pain, but heals completely. The team returns to the ship and asks Space Central to dispatch teachers to guide the children into adulthood. What I wanted to start with was talking about the fact that this takes place on the set where they filmed the Andy Griffith show. And being <laughs> being an Andy Griffith show aficionado, um, I I come to see that like its place in American history being the quintessential small town where um, the sheriff doesn't even bother carrying a gun because he doesn't want people to live in fear and teaches his child a lesson every week and and just how the 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 end result after whatever disaster happens, this is what it all looks like. This is, this is what is left. And it feels like that we're going, however we end up at the end of the COVID-19 um, situation, how, whatever we end up like 
it's going to feel hollowed out from what it used to be, at least in terms of the illusions that um, we have had in in our life and in our country. And also just in this episode, there's there's these kind of childlike adults and adult-like children, which I think is really what we're seeing in our own lives. You know, there's so many kind of parentalized children who are having to take care of grownups around them and or siblings and um and just kids taking having more responsibilities and um having to take care of their own schooling while adults are trying to work and um other stuff like that but also just adults kind of acting like children i think in terms of if you take the the set of all adults that are not essential right now there's so much kind of tantruming and frustration with being penned up and um a lot of it looks like kind of whining and tantrums and that's Um, exactly like seeing the the kid who had just just come down with the disease or or was in the last stages of the disease who ran out at the beginning and started yanking the tricycle out of their hand saying mine 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 you broke it and crying i mean that's really what it feels like certain adults are doing right now in 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 everyday life in terms of the very minor seeming things that they're concerned with um because they're not the people who are protesting are not protesting having lost their jobs or at least that's not what they're saying they're protesting not having access to really non-essential services and it's really this selfish kind of being and then it's also funny because the the kid who runs out who's dying whose body's this full of lesions and just really jarring in appearance isn't concerned about his disease at all he's upset about someone touching his tricycle which also feels like the level the the mixed up priorities a lot of adults have right now in their in their childlike behavior yeah and also our own national leadership feels like really sort of a lot of whining and blame shifting from not just the president, but people around him too. And, and kind of using, using it to distract from things. And I think also the idea of the protests having been fomented by leadership on the right is really super disturbing. And I think that's also kind of like this fake these fake protests, but also this this kind of fake dichotomy that there has to be either health or a good economy and we can't make decisions that support both. So I think that's a really juvenile way to look at it. Even the illusion that it is a choice, that the economy is purely based on the ability of people to provide services for pay, that, that, that that's the only way that we can operate in the world, which actually kind of brings me to the storyline about how the disease started. And again, a situation in one of these shows where the system was constructed by characters who are then consumed by the system that they constructed. The disease that is now going around the world is not necessarily human made or people made, but the system that has allowed it to not only devastate lives, but has allowed lives to be devastated because of job loss and because of 
poor infrastructure and no health insurance and things like that is purely per, uh, purely created by people. And so we're falling victim a little bit to something that we can't control, but a lot because we chose to make other choices in terms of what we created. That It seems like these diseases on the show are, are always, always come from somewhere that, that end up um, causing the damage. And this one, too, or at least the results are coming from somewhere that we could have prevented. And sadly, it was us who didn't prevent it. Yeah. And I think there's also... So this is the second week in a row that we've watched a show where they were trying to prolong use, I think, um, and it went awry and caused the children to be isolated and and tor- you know tortured basically. So, and I think the way that we bring it on ourselves in terms of the piece about suppressing the ability to test for COVID nineteen, and really um, more and more clear that that has been a deliberate choice so that the leadership didn't look bad when the high numbers came out and so that it didn't jeopardize the election and just the cravenness of that. It's like horrifying. The fact that there isn't enough PPE or that um, unemployment insurance is so spotty in many states and then the digital divide in schools, like there are just so many so many access points that if had been prioritized by our culture at large and especially by the people in power we would not be as affected by this in all the other areas as we are yeah and 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 i think that's like a something that the episode really looks at is like how the outdated technology is making it worse and how important their communication is. So when the character of John um, figures out that they need their little boxes to communicate with each other and the children conspire to kind of steal all the communicators, um, they're able to kind of cripple the character's ability to fight the disease. And I think, and, and then they can't access their computers and stuff. So I think there's so many examples of how the communication and technology have kind of crippled the response to the disease in the United States and just kind of outright lies to the American people and um, breaking down communication between the federal and state governments and kind of flip-flopping positions all the time. I think that there's so many pieces of how communication is, is, um, is kind of the Achilles heel. Right. And that's been a point that you've brought up before in terms of the importance of communication in in terms of how this world of Star Trek always solves the problem and how the leaders, the heroes of the show are always very direct and very clear in their communication. And that was purposefully taken out of this um, episode. So, I mean, probably obviously to create drama, but um, certainly serves to think about how broken communication and how just indirect so much of our communication is with because of the way the government uses unofficial mouthpieces to drum up drama and and anger and things instead of using 
the communication to communicate, to get the facts out about the situation and what is needed and not needed and, and all of the important information that people can use at this time. Because they weren't, they weren't, <laughs> they weren't wanting the, those little boxes. The crew weren't wanting them just for casual reasons or to maintain friendships online or anything. It was really at this point to create a cure for the disease. And it's like how much, how much of our communication right now is hurting us because it's not direct and it's not being used in a way by leaders that is beneficial to people. It's being used to distract us or to um, steer us awry or, or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely life life-saving tool in a time like this. And if it's misused, it's murderous. <laughs> and then another piece is that the you know, like that scene where John comes in and grabs all the communicators off the desk. It just seems so much like my kids and kind of snatching technology and and kind of asking for it and um, trying to sneak it. And um, everyone I know is kind of dealing with this horrible thing of like having a police screen time all the time now that we're all home. And so I think it, that was a very kind of familiar scene, which is kind of amazing given that that was like 1960 something right and, and um hearing that i can't help but think there's this i mean it actually made me feel guilty because they were taking them to prevent kirk and others from communicating to the ship and they weren't taking the communicators to play with them or anything and i'm and i just was wondering how often does my two-year-old want the phone and how often does she want me just not to have it um, absolutely no she, i think that's right. a huge part of why they do it there because he says you know this is how they this is how the grubs talk to each other and i think there's definitely this piece where my kids don't want me to be talking to my friends they want me to focus on them and it reminds me of me like stealing my my grandfather's cigarettes and like hiding them or trying to destroy them uh yeah it's like this thing that they know is bad for me the stress that they were feeling towards the third act or, or whatever that is when they were trying to find the cure and just yelling at each other and, and slamming things around. Uh, that is extremely relevant right now. I think for anyone who is going through a the pandemic with one or more other people in their house certainly that that's got to connect and kind of um uh taking it out on other people but also starting to act like the very thing that you hate and i think that's one of the things that kirk is saying in the end is like you're kind of doing this us versus them grubs and only thing but you've started to take on their characteristics. Like you're starting to do the things that you hate about, you hated about them. And I think that's another thing that happens in sort of family life. And when we're all cooped up together, as we start to act out the things that we hate about the other person. Yeah. And, and, and then even blame, I mean, the, on top of that, there's this dismissiveness that's approaching blaming those who get sick for the disease and 
there was this sense of stigma once one of the kids got the disease, a sense of stigma that then they are no longer part of the group and they're isolated or, or sent away or, or abandoned in some way. And we're seeing that. I mean, certainly we've seen it time and time again in our history, but starting to approach those levels now, because once you start dismissing people who have died as those being worth the sacrifice, I mean, once you're willing to sacrifice certain lives, then they start being blamed for ruining the economy. Like we where these people who are getting sick are the ones who are doing this to us rather than looking at all the factors that are creating the illness and creating the economic situation. It brings out a lot of ugliness in terms of what we believe about elderly people or what we believe about people with certain health conditions or like who's expendable. We talked about that last week too. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about how much of it is in runs in cycles and so when he said you're acting like the thing that you hate how much are they acting that way maybe because of the disease or maybe because of the virus but also because that's what they saw that's how they have learned to deal with crisis and so future leaders are we going to learn from this and say here's how we'll deal with crises from now on or will we just harken back in a kind of sick need for humans to repeat themselves or repeat their actions and just do the same thing again look look on this time and and essentially fall into the same trap which seems to have been the pattern throughout history no i have i have great hope that this time period's going to be looked back on as a horrific sort of long burning watergate where people agree that there was really clear wrongdoing and mismanagement and and all of it I, I mean, I certainly hope for that. I don't know if I'm as hope. I, I, I don't know if I'm as optimistic. But that you happen. rarely are. Right, right. Well, I guess I'm just not optimistic because there's not every every one of these episodes that we've watched. We've I've connected a lot with the situation that they're in. I have not connected with. I've not seen any familiarity with how it has been resolved because maybe because we're in the middle of this pandemic right now, or maybe because things don't really ever get resolved. I mean, certainly they only have an hour show 40 some minutes to put on a story and they need to resolve it. But I don't see a miracle saving us. And I see the thing that needs to save us being the a capacity we don't have as humans, which is, extreme amount of patience an extreme amount of communal effort and an extreme amount of empathy which uh i don't i don't know if we have it i don't know if we have it in us as a as a as a group yeah and i think the the, the thing about like you're acting like the thing you hate and in your enemy um i think that's also true in terms of politics like i feel like the the communication coming from the left is just uglier and uglier and uglier. And um, it feels sometimes like turning into um, the tactics of the right as the right sort of destroys itself. Um, But I think one of the things that's so unbelievably genius about this episode is kind of the way, the light that it shines on, like, how traumatic puberty is and how it's kind of like a a metaphor for that, like extreme, ultra extreme version of what puberty is really like. 
Because when you were saying how when they start to change, they're not seen as part of the group anymore. And I think the way um, kids do that to each other, when someone starts to hit puberty and they can be like ostracized for it um, because they're not, you know, part of the kid club anymore. I think that there's so many different facets of it in this episode. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. What what girls have to put up with as soon as they start to even approach puberty, Um, even from grown men, it's really... It's it was so jarring in this episode, and also just kind of like all the petty jealousies and the way tempers are rising and the fears that come up. I think it was so much packed into one episode. I think it was sort of like they were doomed if they if they reached adulthood or if they reached puberty, and there's definitely that sense of like the good part is is ending, you know. Um, even in the excitement of it. But also just my experience of, you know, being 24-7 all day, every day with a kid that's in the midst of puberty. It's like in normal life, we're apart every weekday. There's tons of activities every weekend. And now it's like all day, every day, just like fury all the time, tempers and and just like the surliness. <laughs> It's just, um, yeah. So that's a lot of this episode reminded me of that, and that it, it touched close to, to what yeah. But also just the tantruming adolescent president. It was really like uh, when John is like getting the kids riled up in the, his little rally. It just it felt a lot. Felt very Trumpian. That is a, that is very interesting. I didn't that I did not see. So the reason why I wasn't trying to I I couldn't treat the kids in my mind like the the typical bad guy because I as annoying as they were, and that was a big criticism of the episode, even when it was released, that uh, but people loved it except for the kids were really really annoying. They they didn't like the way the kids were played for the most part. Um, but, um, it, it, I still had a soft spot for them and, uh, sure. but, but that's, well, really I just love that actor. Like he's been in so many things. He's like this great character actor over, over decades and decades and decades. So it was very strange to see him when he was so young. Right. Well, and that's, and that's, so I didn't, I don't think I even made the connection to what a, a MAGA rally is like, but that's exactly what it's like. It, it is like getting a bunch of children wound up <laughs> about yeah, when he's like, that, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean that is almost that that they are almost identical I mean they are almost the only thing they were lacking was John making himself a cult of personality which even even keeled enough to realize that the group was more important than he was <laughs> like he he right, was he's more mature himself. right yeah he's exactly. more mature than a 70 something year old <laughs> the that as a teacher that that scene just was so stressful for me because it feels like that sometimes like when he when he's trying to talk to them and they and just no one it's really it is it feels like that sometimes (laughs) and that scene really was uncomfortable and a real sense of powerlessness 
and it it also feels that way every day when I read the news, but in particular when I read about certain politicians' approval ratings not dropping and certain politicians who have support, and it's like it it felt it feels like there's a group of children that we're unable to communicate with and they are just so incapable of thinking beyond themselves or even thinking beyond their feelings in any given situation and so it gave me kind of a twofold negative reaction one because working with kids when when you're having trouble maintaining coherence in the classroom is stressful but then also just the powerlessness of reading about people who believe that that our leaders are amazing and doing making America great or whatever they believe our leaders are doing is just so beyond stressful just so depressing I think uh, do you want to talk about the beaker full of death which was a significant a significant phrase I thought of um, I, or not I thought of I thought because we did have some time recently where beaker full of deaths were being promoted at the highest level of our land um, really a moment of extreme unreasonable and illogical behavior for the doctor to do that but he did it in a moment of desperation which is how people are acting which just emphasizes again how absolutely vital it is for leadership to not be creating panic while giving facts as they actually are without any, you know, political speak or anything like that. Yeah. And just not, it's, we're so, it's so far gone. Like there's absolutely no way that the leader of the country can be trusted on these issues at this point, because there's been so many lies and self-dealing, you know, the idea that that medication for, is it for lupus that he was promoting? the use of like their family had a financial stake in it. Um, and then, and I think that was part of the whistleblower, the most recent of many whistleblower complaints that came out like two days ago, the man who, the doctor that was in charge of the vaccine development, Dr. Bright was saying that um, he was being pressured to promote that drug as the main path. And, um, and uh and and taken off, you know, pieces of the puzzle that could have borne fruit and um, being pressured in so many different ways. So, no, uh, well, I was just going to say, because that it also made me think the towards maybe is in the middle of the episode when they're reading the doctor who died, that doctor's notes. And at one point, Spock's like he was so far gone at the end. His notes yeah. aren't even making any sense like yeah. that. Is, that's literally what's happening. With yeah like giving advice that makes absolutely no sense and hearing Spock reading those notes, like saying, we have to really just, we can't do any of this. <laughs> like, we yeah, we, gotta to, filter this. Yeah, we, um, we have to really look at this in a different way. Yeah. Um, and I think that the thing that was so parallel about it though, is that the reason that they're on this like really tight timeline with finding the vaccine is because the food is running out for the, for the children and so i think um that tension 
that, you know, we're not going to make it as an economy. We're kind of racing the, the clock in terms of an economic collapse or recession and how, like, the tension that that creates yeah. between the two. I think it was all right there in that brief episode. Yeah, and that's, uh, again, though, I would I would say... Yes, that's a very real tension because we have to be thinking about the people who need to have jobs right now because they're not getting paid to stay home and things like that. But the big picture is it doesn't have to be this way. I mean, there the many, many articles about food that's just being thrown out because there's not a market for it. And so when we talk about food shortages, like we see meat plants, meat packaging plants being shut down and things like that. There is food available, but because of the economic system we've chosen, we're not accessing it because it can only be useful in an exchange economy. Our timeline feels so self-created. It's like the writers on the show had to add the food dynamic because they needed this dramatic element. We're adding this time dynamic and we could take it away if we chose right so we could just pay people to stay home right right which other countries do yeah and I, I mean we are doing to some extent we're just not doing we haven't gone far enough with it we're already using some socialistic responses but but i think with the vaccine you know um him taking the risk to take it to be the first one to take it and um I think that, you know, there'll come this point where we'll, be, you know, people will be asked to volunteer. And I was thinking about that, you know, would I volunteer to be like a tester of the vaccine? And um, and who who will those people be? And who, you know, and are we going to be quarantined all the way up until a vaccine and, and things like that? Right. So would you volunteer? I don't know. I think um, my elderly mother-in-law lives with us, so I probably, at this stage in my life, wouldn't feel like I had the right to. Yeah. They probably want people younger than us, too. Oh, excellent point. Thank you for pointing out my age for the <laughs> nine millionth time. I, I always love myself. and appreciate that about you. I included myself, though. Thank you. That was... In arguments that arise in discussing the stay-at-home orders during the crisis of COVID-19, it is often callously stated in one way or the other that the people who are dying or going to die are those we don't have hope of getting much out of anyway. Perhaps without explicitly saying so, what this argument means is that we are quite fine with preventable death not being prevented when it comes to old people or immunocompromised people or those who don't have sufficient access to medical care or those whose bodies have been compromised by our lack of infrastructure, education, and community well-being. In other words, anyone who doesn't fit our definition of useful. 
putting aside the big issue of who is in danger of contracting and being killed by COVID-19 and who is not, we must ask the question, what are our children learning from our actions? In Miri, the long-surviving children spent centuries in total fear and hatred of all things grown-up, remembering the yelling and the fighting, remembering the horrible way the grown-ups treated each other as the disease took down every person once they passed the rite of puberty. And in the end, as each of the onlys came of age and acquired the disease, the others looked for the only example they had as to how to deal with such tragedy, the grumps. What will our children take away from our response? What will our children believe to be their responsibility when another's life is on the line? What will our children's priorities be? Somewhere, the echoes of Captain Kirk's words to the onlys are ringing in my ear. And I wonder if someday someone will ask the same thing about our children as they deal with the next generational foe. Look at each other. Look at the blood on your hands. Is this what you have become 